Now we get to the trust and obey part. It's interesting, we've already hit November. Anybody else surprised that we've already are in Thanksgiving month? I mean, it just seems like this year has flown by. Now, I was, I was hearing some other people talk about it this past week, and they said, the older you get, the faster life goes. <laughs> so I guess that's why it's happening. It just seems like it was just, wasn't that long ago that we celebrated Thanksgiving. And, and so I thought what would be good for us this November is to look at what Thanksgiving is all about from the aspect of trust in God and stewardship. We live in sort of interesting times financially as far as our nation is concerned. Um, I heard on the, uh, one of the news broadcasts said that 41% of Americans are unemployed. Yeah. And yet, as they say, well, but we have a 5% unemployment rate. How can that be? Because they only report the people who are still looking for work. In other words, after people get to a certain point, they stop looking for work and they are no longer counted as being unemployed. Little smoke and mirrors going on there. We also have then the, somebody said to me, well, the Wall Street's just doing gangbusters. And I reminded them about quantitative easing. You print money, send it to Wall Street, it looks good. But I question how long can this go on? And, And the reason I'm bringing this all up is not to be political or anything, but to challenge us because as things get tighter, as our economy and as, as you, we lose jobs and whatever, God still has a command for us to be givers, to continue to be givers to other people, to be givers back to him. He challenges us to make sure that we never become people who just look in on ourselves and take care of ourselves, but that we be people who look out and look at others. And so we're going to be talking over the next couple of weeks about Proverbs 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I'd like you to take your Bibles, pew Bibles, uh, the chair Bibles. If you'd look that up, in the 450 is, a, is the page number for some of the Bibles. The other Bibles, I don't know. We've had to purchase some new ones in, over the last several years, and so we've got different Bibles. But look up Proverbs 3, 1 through 10. Because the writer of this particular proverb is challenging us to become people who trust God totally, who obey God totally. And that can sometimes rub us uh, a different way because, you know, we tend to want to be independent, especially as Americans. We want to, we want to say that we're independent, we're taking care of ourselves, and, and we don't need anybody to help us. We just sang the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Notice what that verse is saying. Notice what that song is saying. There's no way that we can totally be happy unless it's in Jesus, unless we're trusting and obeying him. There's two questions I oftentimes get asked. The first one is, how can I know God's will? The second one is, how can I be a success for God, others, and myself? So that's what we're going to play around with today as we look at this particular proverb. You have your proverb in front of you? I'll be flashing the verses up on the screen as well, but I want you to notice we start with with verse 1. And basically, knowing God and his will for my life and growing his kingdom and myself as a steward should be the most important factors. Now, look at verse 1. My child, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. How many of his commands? All of them. So, in other words, if we're going to keep God's commands, what does that require us to do? Learn the commands. So, what does that require us to do? Get into the Word, get into the Bible, become students of the Word, and find out what does God, what's God commanding me to do. 
Now, I want you to notice that in verse 2, because there's a result that will come if we keep God's commands, all of God's commands. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Who here wants to be prosperous? Boy, convince me. <laughs> you want to be prosperous. And so he's basically telling us, here's how you do it. You keep God's commands. Now, that's sort of countercultural, isn't it? Because most of us think, if I want to be successful in my life, what do I have to do? We just had the baby dedication. Well, we need to make sure Haley gets the best education possible, that someday she enters Harvard or Yale or one of those Ivy League schools. That's how she'll become prosperous. I don't think so. Not according to what God's saying. And something tells me, at least from my, my experience with God, is that he does, never lies. He tells me the truth. And so if I want my life to be successful, to be, if I want to have prosperity, then I need to keep God's commands. Now let me just put a little you know, thought in your mind here. When, when God talks prosperity, he's not talking big bank accounts. He's not talking many houses. He's not talking the latest, most expensive car. Prosperity to God is living abundantly. And to live abundantly does not tie to my bank account or to what I possess. And that's the thing I think that sometimes trips us, us, uh, trips us up as followers of Christ is that we're expecting when we read something like that to all of a sudden our bank account will be full. Not so much. Let's go on. Then in verse, verse 3 we read, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Again, he's giving us a command here. He gave us a command in the first verse and then a promise. Now he's giving us a command here, and basically the command is that we are to be, have love and faithfulness constantly be a part of our lives. We are to be the most loving people as Christ followers that the world has ever seen. How are you doing at that? How am I doing at that? To be totally transparent, not so well all the time, especially when I'm behind the wheel. But we need to understand that this is the attitude. This is the, what we're supposed to have as, as, the, as people watch us. They need to see love. They need to see faithfulness, that we're not only faithful to God, but we're faithful to one another. Let my, my yes be yes and my no be no, as Jesus would say. So faithfulness is important. And you bind them on your heart. In other words, they become who you are. And then he goes on, verses 5 through 6. Trust the Lord with how much of your heart? All your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's tough because here again, we think we know better than God. And so we're going to do things our way as opposed to doing them God's way. And, and the proverb writer saying, no, not so much. And then he goes on in all your ways. You see that little word all again? Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. There's another command and another promise. You see that? The command is to give Trust the Lord with all your heart. I mean, there's no double-mindedness here. There's no, I'll trust God here, but I won't trust him over here. It's got to be everything, all or nothing. And then in all my ways, I'll acknowledge him. And then, and here's the promise, he makes my path straight. Does that mean there's no bumps in the road? No. That's not what he's saying. What he's wanting you to understand that even when the bumps in the road happen, because of your trust in him, you get through them. You get through the bumps, and so they don't trip you up. They don't make, you don't get so, so negative because you've just hit a bump because you know that God is going to help you get through it. He's going to make the path straight. You see, that's what total trusting in God is all about. That's what total obedience is all about. And this is where I have to diagnose myself, and you have to diagnose yourself. How am I at total obedience? 
how am I at totally trusting God? Some days better than others, don't you think? When you're sitting here, it's easy, right? But we get out there and start living life, that's not so easy, is it? He doesn't stop there. He says, goes on and says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. You noticing a, a pattern here? You noticing the sort of subtle message he's wanting us to understand? And instead of trusting in us, we trust in God. Again, it's countercultural. Everything in our culture, being the independent society that we are, but wanting to make sure that we're making our own way. I was just listening to something this past week where a guy was saying, I don't like to depend on others. And I thought, how sad. Because we cannot get, life through, get through life on our own. Not only do we need God, but once we accept God's trust and obedience and we're trusting in him and, and obeying him, then we will find it's easier to lean on others as God's agent of helping us get through. It's a popular Christian song, and I don't know who the, the author or singer is, but it talks about the fact that, that he looked around him and he saw all this, this chaos in the world and people going hungry, and he, he prayed to God and said, God, why don't you change this? And God said, I did. I created you. You see, we are supposed to be the angels of change, but that will only happen as we trust in God. Now, here's the clincher. This will bring health to your body, and nourishment to your bones. Another command and another promise. But here's the bottom line. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Again, a command and a promise. Basically, the tithe would have been the, the system that the Jewish people of this particular time would have used. And they were supposed to take a tenth of everything they possessed. And once a year, they would bring it to the temple, and it was given to the priests. And that was the way that they were going to fund people who couldn't make it on their own. It was to fund their, their worship. It was to fund the temple activities. And so this, the, the idea here is that we are to bring, uh, if we follow their example, at least a tenth of what we make, and we bring it to God, and then we will find prosperity again hitting us. Our crops, although we're not an agrarian society anymore, but you get the concept. that In essence, I will prosper if I give the first tenth to God. But that's hard, isn't it? That's why I started with this whole thing about the economy and how the economy is just is really breaking down. And, and will we continue to be givers to God so that we can fund the ministries so that people can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Will we continue to do those things that need to be done to impact our culture? I want to start with three observations. And some of these I've already hit on, so I'm going to be redundant. But I understand in education that redundancy is good because you take it in more. So three observations. First of all, these commands are all inclusive. What do I mean by that? It's all or nothing. He did not ever say you could, should partially obey God's teachings. He didn't say sometimes you're supposed to let him lead us. We're always supposed to obey his commands. We're always supposed to trust he's going to take care of us. They're all inclusive. The second observation I would make is that these commands precede a promise. We tend to want it the other way around, if you're like me. I want God to give me the blessing, and then I will obey. But notice here, the proverb writer says it doesn't work that way. God gives you the command, you obey the command, and all of a sudden you will reap the benefits of obeying that command. Now, when you think about it spiritually, 
It makes sense, doesn't it? Because if the commands basically set you up to succeed, you've got to keep the commands so then you can succeed. Make sense? Amen? Amen. <laughs> got to pull it out of you. <laughs> but, you <laughs> but you get what we're saying here. We're, we're basically saying we need to do, keep the commands and then, keep, and then the, pro, the promise will follow. Secondly, or thirdly, promises are conditional. We do our part and then God does his part. We trust him completely. If we obey him completely, then he has wonderful provisions for us as his children. The next part I want us to look at is what I call stewardship statements. The first one is this. God is trustworthy. In other words, if God has said this through the proverb writer, you know it can be trusted. Do you believe that? Do you totally trust that God is going to keep whatever promise he has made to you? And that's the attitude we need to develop. It will take you time to develop a total trust. It will take you time to obey every command. But that is basically what you need to commit your life to doing today. It's what Michael and Jennifer are doing with with Haley. They're they're saying, we're going to commit to this. And we know it's going to be a lot of hard work, but we're going to make it happen. Because we're going to follow the plan that God has laid out before us. And each of us need to do that. And each of us need to realize it's not going to be an overnight, all of a sudden I trust God totally. It's going to be something by which I live each and every day and learn to trust him more and more every day. Secondly, God is entrusted. He's placed within our care, our possessions, our opportunities, our time, everything that you have, what we need to understand, it comes from God. You own nothing. Think about it. Again, going back to the baby dedication, that's what I challenged Michael and Jennifer to realize they don't own Haley. She's a gift from God, and and they are now responsible to raise her in such a way that that God is going to receive honor and glory because she will become a fine Christian young woman someday. But you you have to understand that you're just entrusted with your stuff. And if, if I looked at my stuff that way, would I not then perhaps be a little bit looser with how I use my stuff? And maybe I'd be a little bit looser with how I help other people with my stuff. You know, your house, maybe I would become more hospitable because my house is, is something that God has given me. It's not mine. My car, helping other people get to church because God's given me this car, but he's given me the car to use for his glory. Your bank account, it's not all mine. It's been given to me by God to be used for his glory. Does that make sense? Thirdly, what we see here is that we are trustees of everything God has given us. We need to ask ourselves some tough questions. First one is, do I trust God? Where do I place my faith? Where do I place my confidence? This is something I would challenge each and every one of us to have a little bit of introspection. And don't just very quickly answer these questions, but realize these are really deep questions because if I'm going to say I do trust in God totally, then how am I living that out? How are people seeing that in my everyday life? Am I going to really live an obedient lifestyle or am I going to continue to want to pull back and take what God has given me and and make it my own? A couple other penetrating questions I thought about as I was working on this message. Can I trust God? Do I trust God? The next two weeks, we're going to be doing what I've called the trust test. We're going to be taking some tests as to how much we truly do trust in God using some scriptures. So I would encourage you to make sure you're here the next two weeks. 
uh, so that you can be a part of this whole concept of learning to trust God even more than perhaps you trust him now. Growing in your trust, growing in your obedience. And that's the challenge. These could be perhaps three of the most important sermons I've preached all year. And you don't want to miss them, do you? So we go on. Some trust thoughts about God. God's care is constant. He is always there. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. In other words, when God makes a promise to me and I keep my commitments to him, then I know he will be there for me. Even when it seems like I'm walking alone, even when it seems like he's nowhere to be found, I know he is there. His care is constant. In the book of Hebrews, we read this. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's a strong verse, don't you think? And if we really, really believe that, how would it change how you live? It's interesting that in the original language, it reads this way. I will not, no, not leave you, neither will I forsake you. Sort of a tongue twister, but, but look at it. I will not, not to leave you. I will not, no, not leave you, neither will I forsake you. God wanted to emphasize how constant he is with us, how he walks with us each and every day, even when we don't know for sure if he's around. George Beverly Shea, this dates me, one of my mom's favorite singers of old. He would uh, go around with Billy Graham. He sang at Billy Graham Crusades back in the day. And he said the strangest song that he ever got requested to sing was this, God's grip don't slip. Bad English, but good theology, don't you think? An old man was asked about his favorite gospel song. He said, the one with the stanza, no, never alone, alone, no, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Have you ever heard that song? I haven't, <laughs> so I'm just taking, taking the word for it. There's a, a famous poem that a lot of us have read and liked and through the years. It's called Footprints. You're familiar with the, the poem F- Footprints? It was interesting because in, in looking up that particular poem this week, I, I never knew who the author was. It's interesting because she was a, her name was Margaret Fishbeck, and she went through some amazing trials. The person that she loved left her, and she caught meningitis and was literally bedridden for many months. She came to the lowest place of her life. During that time, another man fell in love with her and wanted to marry her, but she wouldn't marry him. She basically said, I'm out of trust. I'm not sure I trust God. I know I don't trust men. I'm out of trust. One night as she lay in her bed, she began to thinking about that, thinking about whether or not she still trusted God, and she penned these words. One night a man had a dream, and he dreamed that he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes of his life, and for each scene he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other belonging to the Lord. After the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life there was only one set of footprints, and he also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and at the very saddest times of his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned God. He said, Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand, Lord. Why, when I needed you the very most, you would leave me? And the Lord replied, my precious, precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, 
It was then that I carried you. We need to have that picture of God. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But when we need him the most, he will be carrying us. Secondly, God's gifts are generous. God gives generously. In the book of Psalms, we read about the fact that our God owns the the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of cattle. The concept is that God owns everything and, and God's in charge of everything. Today, before you take your Sunday afternoon nap, I'd like you to read Psalm 136. I'm going to read a portion of it, but you, and you'll sort of get the gist of why this is important. But the psalmist wrote Psalm 136, and he basically set it up in a way so that he makes a statement, and then he gives a retort, and the retort is the same. So as you catch on to what the retort is, start saying it with me. He starts, he says, Praise the Lord, for he is good. God's love never fails. Praise to God of all gods, because God's love never fails. Praise the Lord of lords. God's love never fails. Only God works great miracles. God's love never fails. With wisdom, he made the sky. God's love never fails. The Lord stretched the earth over the ocean. God's love never fails. He made the bright lights in the sky. God's love never fails. He lets the sun rule each day. God's love never fails. He lets the moon and the stars rule each night. God's love never fails. What do you think the psalmist wanted to get across there? (laughs) God's love never fails. Now, the the trick for me is to, to believe that and live knowing that God's love never fails. So how do we develop our trust? First of all, we need to learn to trust in adversity. That is the time we learn trust the best, when things aren't going our way, when things are difficult, when bad things happen to us. That is when we learn to trust God the most because we're actually living through something that we don't want to live through. And so many of you I know are going through tough times, whether it be loss of a job, financial issues, health issues. And we've got everything like that going on here at Gateway. We need to understand that through this adversity, God is going to do something great. Here's what the psalmist says. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? And in another psalm, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. That's the God you're serving. And if you're going through a tough time right now, that's the God you need to to look to and say, I know you're with me. Help me to feel your presence. God asks us to obey him or to trust him in er every area area of our life especially those things that we think are too big for us. It's like God is saying to you, if, you, if you're working a job and you hate your job, he's saying, trust me, I'm there with you. I'm helping you through that. But you say back to God, you can't understand my job. My job is really bad. I've got the, most, I've got the worst boss possible. And God's saying, I, I, I understand. I'm loving you through it. You're looking at your finances right now, and you're saying, God, I I can't give to other people or to the church because my finances are that bad. And God's saying, trust me. I will get you through this time. But you've got to obey. You've got to trust. Jesus said, unless we become like little children, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a thing that we all need to struggle to do. The psalmist says, I trust in the Lord, and Lord, I give you my fears. That's not conflict. Basically, that's not a double standard. He's really saying, God, I believe you, and God, help me in my unbelief. Secondly, we need to learn to trust when we have plenty. 
Sometimes this is even more difficult. Sometimes I say. Because when we have plenty, when everything's going our way, we think, well, we're doing pretty good. I, I got good. I've got control of my life. You see, when things are going really well, we don't look to God as make, basically making that happen. We think we're doing it. But we need to learn to trust when, things are, when we're in plenty. Lastly, we need to trust God as our source. Not just trust in God, but trust God as a source of every good and perfect gift. Realizing that everything I have comes from him. And then when I lose something that I had, I don't worry about it so much because it was never mine to begin with. If God is my source and it totally changes the trajectory of my thinking where stuff is concerned. In Proverbs, we read these words. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. If you type unscalable in on your computer, if you have word like I do, it redlines it. <laughs> it says, it's not a word. But you see what the, the um, writer is saying, don't you? Basically, he's saying, challenging us, put our trust in God, and then things will work out. But if you put your trust in your wealth... You think somehow it's an unscalable wall and no one can attack you. And what he's saying is that's not true. You have a false sense of, of trust and hope if you think your money can save you. It can't. It's, it, it's here today and gone tomorrow. And so what's your unscalable wall? Young people, is it your college degree that somehow because I have this college degree, everything's going to go well? Is your unscalable wall another person? Is your unscalable wall your bank account? What's your unscalable wall? And that's the challenge. Or is your unscalable wall your God? This morning I want to close with a video of someone sharing the words of S.M. Lockridge, a famous African-American preacher from Detroit. He's passed on now, uh, but I, when I read about this particular little sermon he did, I looked it up and we found this particular um, this video basically saying about his, a sermon that he preached on trusting God. Now, if you went to his pr- church, guess how long you'd be there on any given Sunday? Four hours. <laughs> I mean, evidently, he could just preach and preach and preach. Well, we're not going to keep you that long today, uh, but I do want you to watch this video, and it's basically titled, You Can Trust Him. He's the one who made us. And it is he who made us and not we ourselves. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. And no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. I'm telling you today, you can trust him. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong and he's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast and he's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful and he's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that's ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of salvation. I'm telling you, church, you can trust him. He does not have to call for help and you can't confuse him. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. He stands alone in the solitude of himself. He's august and he's unique and he's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the Lord.
loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem of higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you can call him. I'm trying to tell you something. You can trust him. He can satisfy all your needs and he can do it simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak and he's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he sees. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives the sinner. He discharges the debtor. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. I'm trying to tell you, church. You can trust him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway to glory. You can trust him. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislature. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. You can trust him. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable because he's incomprehensible. He's irresistible because he's invincible. You can't get him in your hands. You can't get him off your mind. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Pilate couldn't stand him when he found out. He couldn't stop him and Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree and Herod couldn't kill him and death couldn't handle him and thank God the grave couldn't hold him. There was nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. He has no predecessor. He has no successor. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's all things. He's the giver of life. He's the joy out of every sorrow. He's the light out of every darkness. He's the Prince of Peace and peace that passes all understanding. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. And all God's people said, as you prepare to leave this building this morning, I challenge you to leave your head held high because you know you can trust him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for being a God who loves us so much, who challenges us to trust and obey, to live in a way that will bring honor and glory to you and that you will be there to bless us. Help us this morning as we leave to accept that challenge. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.